We don't want to see the CCP's way of life overruling the people of the Solomon Islands. Daniel Suidani, the former premier of the Solomon Islands Malaita province, became a hero among China watchers after he challenged the Chinese Communist Party's influence operations in the region, refused a bribe, and barred CCP-linked companies from operating in his province. Punishment came swiftly. He was ousted from his position. And when he fell ill and needed brain surgery, he was denied access to care until Taiwan finally came to his rescue. I had the rare opportunity of sitting down with Suidani and his advisor, Celsus Talifilu, when they were on a trip to the United States. That's the only thing they talk about, that China is, is there to help. And uh, it's been promoted so much beyond anything else. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelleck. The story of Daniel Suidani and the Solomon Islands is a window into the Chinese regime's tactics across the Pacific, and even its tactics in North America, as it expands its influence, bribes the powerful, and co-opts strategic resources. In 2019, the Solomon Islands, which had long recognized Taiwan as the true seat of the Chinese government, switched this formal recognition to the People's Republic of China. Recently, Parliament voted to delay elections to accommodate a big event funded by China, the Pacific Games. There's evidence that the parliament members who supported the change each received about 24,000 U.S. dollars from a CCP-linked slush fund. Premier Daniel Suidani, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Well, welcome to America. And uh, I was very happy to hear you yesterday uh, testifying at the Congressional Executive Commission on China about what's happened in the Solomon Islands, about the Chinese Communist Party influence in the Solomon Islands and the big changes that have happened there. I want to talk, go back to 2019. You wrote uh, the Aki Communique. And the Aki Communique basically said, number one, that you don't want the province to be working with Chinese Communist Party affiliated companies. And number two, you highlighted how the Chinese Communist Party in China is an atheist enterprise, whereas Malaita province at the very least, or perhaps all Islands, is a Christian enterprise, and to watch out for that. So tell me a little bit about how this came about and what happened. So we come up with a communique, a set of principles that uh, we believe can guide the people in future developments, we have seen the destructive way, dishonest ways that these uh, Chinese companies involved in the provinces, and particularly in Malaita, that is very destructive and exp- uh, more exploitive in a way. They've been getting resources. They don't care whether it damages some environmental things as long as they got what they want from the people. That's all they want. Malita provincial people are Christian people. They believe in God. And the CCP, as we commonly known as the communists, they don't believe in the same principles and the values and the truth that we have believed. We have faith in it. So it would be very difficult for us to, to work together with two different values, two different tra- beliefs and faith. Well, the second element of the communique uh, is the uh, the provincial government will not allow any company that link with the CCP. We must make sure 
that a company that will operate in Malita must not relate to a CCP-connected you know, companies in the province. Something that was very significant that you did was there was this you know, loan which was provided from China, something to the tune of $66 million, for 27 Huawei cell towers to develop in the area. And you, you blocked that. And I think it was from that moment that um, things started to change for you. Can you tell me about that change? What happened? They forced the, the non-executive government motions of no conviction against our government, which I believe I am the only premier faced three motions of no confidence. And the latest one that I was asked is more likely that that is one of the reasons for, for, for them to, 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 to put the motion against me. Beforehand, from what I understand, you were very popular uh, premier, pro popular member of parliament. Of course, you were elected premier, so that means you, you must have been popular. But then how is it that um, you, know, you actually would lose a vote of non-confidence? How did that happen? Because there were three of them, like you said, right? Like, uh, because the whole aim of the government is to get the Chinese companies into Malaita. They would like me to, 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 to be out from the premier's office so that they can come in and do their developments in whatever way they want to do it. So I believe they, they are behind the motions in order for, to allow the way for Chinese companies to come. And so those parliament members that voted in these non-confidence motions, they, why, why, why did, would they vote against you? Well, the non-executive members, they're the members of the provincial assembly. They were there because of, uh, I believe, they were uh, handpicked. Some of the non-executive attend some programs with the government, and they were given money uh, to to withdraw from my government and to join the non-executive in order to to oust me from being a premier. So they did, and they paid uh, them ten thousand dollar each member of the non-executive, and they joined the other side of the house to uh, fold me out. Tell me a little bit more about um, Malaita province and why you decided to go into politics in the first place. Malaita province is a province that uh, uh, believe more in communal and tribal working together. And they believe in resource sharing as a tribe. What I've seen in, in, in the past, before I become a premier, before I was you know, become a member. I've seen that members before me, people just come in and, you know, get salaries for their own benefit. But they haven't do or even uh, introduce or produce any ordinance at all to safeguard the resources and the people of the province and even the involvement of other businesses so that they can be something that people, indigenous people can involve and get their, uh, you know, future out of it. So I came in and we are the first province to, to introduce the logging ordinance that will safeguard our resources. The way these uh, contractors or the, the Chinese people doing logging, they don't care about anything. They don't care about the environment. They move machineries into the streams that people uh, used to drink and, uh, and they're not giving water tanks or other things to people. So this is something that is very sad. They don't know, care about 
the damage is caused for local indigenous people and their livelihood. So we need to see that if any genuine company to come and do development, it has to have some set of rules abiding them so that they can do things that is not destructive. Development that doesn't cause disunity and people can, you know, receive the resources for future generations. Another thing is retailing. Retailing, it should be for indigenous Solomon Islanders. There's a reserve business that should be given to Solomon Islanders, but we have seen these Chinese people, you know, they involve more in these businesses and they push away the Solomon Island and the Malitans in particular in Malita province. Uh, no space for them to involve in such a business. The way I see it, uh, once we don't, we don't careful or we don't talk about these things, we will end up having all Chinese people running businesses in the Solomon Islands. How big is the investment from China? I cannot tell you exactly how big, but what we have seen is that like from the whole town of Honiar, we haven't seen any local Solomon Islanders with bigger buildings, investment in, in Honiara city. And like in the provinces as well, when these Chinese people can they pay off properties in the headquarters like in Aoki. So they are the ones building huge buildings in the capital at the moment. So it's huge uh, with the investment they've had in the country. I want to talk a little bit about, at one point, you needed some pretty serious medical care. And uh, normally that would be funded by the government, but this was denied from you. Can you, can you explain that to me a bit? I've got a doctor's report when I was sick, and uh, that report uh, by the doctor said that I must, uh, I must go to get my medical uh, treatment in overseas countries like in Australia. So we wrote that letter, the doctor wrote the letter, and we gave the letter to the Ministry of Provincial Government, hoping that they will, they will finance my, my trip to Meta Hospital. But they decided not to, to, to support my medical treatment. So I believe with, the, with that, uh, because I was talking to a member of parliament, and they said, if you can go and shake hands with Manasseh Sogovare, you will be funded to go to overseas for your medical treatment. And I said, oh, I can die here without shaking his hands. That's okay with me. But I stand for the rights of my people. But in the end, it was the Taiwan that offered to, to support your medical treatment, right? Yes, yes, they do. After you went to Taiwan for your treatment, um, there were articles written in, I think, the biggest uh, Solomon Islands media by the editor of that media uh, who is also part of, let's see if I've got this right, the Solomon Islands China Friendship Association, or like one of the leaders of that group, um, alleging that, you know, you had actually gone to Taiwan to organize a hit squad to take out that, the, the prime minister that you mentioned earlier? Yes, that, that, that was the article published in the Solomon Star at the time. And uh, that's what they said, uh, my coming to Taiwan. It's not for medical treatment, it's uh, to arrange some, you know, um, collude with the Taiwanese government and the U.S. They said to assassinate the prime minister. It was all false. I was in, in Taiwan for medical treatments. So they did say that in the media, and they wrote so many things about me, 
all false. They don't have the, the facts of the things that they talked about. But that's how they are uh, doing their, the news article front page all the time about me colluding with the Taiwanese government to assassinate the prime minister. Why, why do you think they did that? I think this is the, the way so that uh, the government can arrest me for, for doing some illegal you know, activities like uh, the one they mentioned in the star. What would you say is your biggest fear for the future? My, my biggest fear, actually, is that if we are not careful about the way we deal about the CCP, we'll end up like other countries in the Pacific and in the world that has been overruled by CCP. The government at the moment depends entirely on the influences from the, from the CCP. Do you feel like your life is in danger? Yes, because uh, at the first place they have been trying to find facts of things so that they can arrest me for it. So I'm very fearful of the things that is happening right now. But I'm going to stand for what I believe in, even if it's hard on me and my family. Uh, it's what we stand for. So yes, I've been very fearful, and my, my children too. Where do you find the strength for this? The strength I have is from my people. Uh, they are with me, and uh, we are together fighting for this. Because if we don't fight, if we don't uh, talk about these things, uh, in the future it will be very dangerous for us. So I am encouraged, and I'm having the strength with my people that this is the right thing to do. So you're here, of course. We're here sitting in front of the Capitol in the US. But you actually had some trouble getting your visa approved. Getting a visa to come to US for me is quite difficult. So well, we follow the procedures. We apply for a visa. We answer the questions. But then when I first get an interview, it was denied. Uh, and there's no reason, but they give me a paper saying that you haven't got the evidences to prove that you are maybe coming back to the Solomon. So they give the denial document with my passport back without saying anything. But uh, we have the help from the Congress men and, and the women helping me out. So behind what is happening with the first interview, that is something that I don't you know, understand. A lot of people may not understand how rare it is to take the stand that you did with the Aki communique. Why is it only Malaita, you think, that has that sort of a communique? Uh, being a leader, you need to listen to people. So I listen to people who have the same thinking, and they share with me, this is how the government should our government should lead our people. I have a set of, you know, team who can advise me on good things as well, and the people of the province. So that's, uh, you know, we, we create this principle stand because I'm listening to the people, the people I'm representing. So, um, you know, you're here uh, with uh, your advisor, Celsus Talifilo. And uh, so tell me a bit about him. 
uh, Celsius uh, used to work for the, for the central government. Used to work in, in parliament for quite some time. So a, a province like Mali they need such people like him. So uh, we work from 2019 to this day, even if I'm out from the government, we are still advising us on things that is happening in the province and in the nation. Celsus Talifilu, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to, to be on the show. So you're an advisor to former Premier Daniel Suidani. And, um, but before that, you were actually an advisor to the Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands. So tell me a little bit about how that happened, the change. Yes, so before I uh, went to Malaita, I was the coordinator uh, of the policy that we put together under the current government. Uh, I went back to join uh, the Premier's uh, government uh, because uh, of the diplomatic uh, switch that uh, have happened. Uh, if one knows about the history of Solomon Islands, we have had an ethnic crisis uh, from 1998 uh, onwards. And in during that time, uh, one of the only countries that have helped indeed, uh, apart from Australia and New Zealand, is Taiwan uh, that have accepted a, a loan uh, to pay the lost properties of those who have lost their properties during uh, that crisis. So one would say during the darkest times of our history, Taiwan was there. And when the when the diplomatic switch happened, it was not very respectful. Um, in fact, uh, the Prime Minister sent the um, Foreign Affairs Minister a week before the, the diplomatic switch happened to Taipei. And I think after that, uh, Taipei sent the uh, Foreign Affairs Minister to Honiara and was not received in any uh, official way at all. So that, the whole scheme, uh, in my view, was very disrespectful. And uh, uh, government can be government, but human beings are more than the government. Why do you think uh, China is so interested in the Solomon Islands? There could be reasons for resources. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The uh, logging industry in the Solomons, uh, well, 80% to 90% of the logs ended up in the, mar in the Chinese market. Uh, so that's the, in terms of of, of resource, that's, that's big for them. And in terms of our imports too, it's like 80 to 90% of the imports from the Solomon Islands is from, from China. So sort of like we export one product that is low, primarily to the Chinese market, and we import from them. Their companies also operate in the mining industry. So they, they have a, have a interest in trade with, with the resources that we have in the Solomon fisheries. Uh, Solomon Islands is among a number of countries in the Pacific that have good fishing grounds for tuna. And maybe there is no doubt uh, that they are looking for a strategy to, 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 to dominate the place, dominate the, the region, and therefore the ambition they would like to be uh, 
the superpower more than America. So it could mean that dominating the Pacific could allow them to you know, poster themselves as a, as a world power that can face up with America. So in fact, I've had a number of people on this show, uh, China experts, who have talked about the strategic importance um, to America uh, of many of the Pacific Islands, including the Solomon Islands, and what happens if the CCP gets influence there and especially establishes a military presence, for example, right? So how big has the change been since 2019, which was this switch, the diplomatic switch that you described? Um, how, how big or quick even has this change been in terms of uh, uh, CCP influence since that time? It's uh, since since the diplomatic switch, uh, the uh, amount of information that has been uh, played out in the media in the Solomons is huge, to the extent that that's the only thing they talk about. That China is is there to help, and uh, it's been promoted so much beyond anything else. The Pacific Games, they are the ones who will build the stadiums. Of course, they are. It's promoted by the government that they, the Chinese will bring a lot of investment uh, into the country. Uh, so far, uh, in terms of infrastructure, its companies are operating in the Solomons, but not with Chinese money. Uh, they are using uh, you know, the opportunities under World Bank projects, and even Solomon Island funded projects. Uh, so, so, so their companies are actually winning tenders uh, to develop these places. I think the only two big investments so far in terms of direct involvement with the government of China is this uh, um, stadium and the building of uh, uh, dormitories of the university, uh, the local university. So I think those has always been reference in the support that China uh, give directly. Otherwise, uh, there are companies uh, believed to have connection with China that are operating uh, in one of the provinces, example, in Renal Bellona, where they are uh, involved in bauxite mining. And some local companies uh, registered locally, but I think is, uh, has connection to Chinese that are interested in uh, uh, nickel mining in other two or three provinces of the Solomon Islands. So there's a lot of Chinese activity, but, but a lot of that is funded through World Bank and other development loans in this like. That's right. Before the diplomat switch happened, companies like CCECC and China Harbor is already in the Solomons. And they were there uh, on tenders, uh, under tenders uh, of, of uh, World Bank and Asian Development Bank. Or even some are Solomon Islanders, but mostly World Bank. So they were already there, uh, winning tenders to, for bridge buildings, uh, road buildings, uh, and those things. I think after that, when the, when the, when the diplomatic switch took place, there was this other uh, company, they called the SAM Group, uh, that is in, interested in developing Tulagi uh, into what they call a, a economic zone, building, you know, uh, structures of wharfs and other things. At that time, there's a lot of speculation around that, saying that this company 
is actually relate has close has close ties with the, the uh, People's Republic uh, P PLA uh, People's, People's Liberation Army. Army yeah. Yes. So so that too there was there was some concern by uh, ordinary people that what is published in the papers seems to suggest that this is not really an ordinary company. Uh, they have uh, deeper connections that might not be good for us. So that's one of the reasons why uh, the whole thing in Tulagi ended up being put on hold uh, because of the publicity of the company relating uh, to, to military. So there's this situation in, um, with the federal government postponing the current elections um, actually by modifying the Constitution with a vote, with a 39 out of 50 vote, right? Um, so tell me about that. I remember uh, when I was still in the Prime Minister's office, the conversation about the extension of Parliament was sort of like flow, uh, discussed, but has not taken any prominency. But after the switch, and then the Chinese were building uh, the uh, stadiums. Somehow the discussion suddenly popped up again uh, uh, for the amendment of the constitution to allow uh, for the government, the parliament, to have an extra seven months uh, before the solution in December. And, and the reason behind that was it would be very difficult uh, for the Solomon government to uh, host two big events uh, in a year, and that's the general election and uh, and the Pacific game. So that's the reasoning that they 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 said. But one would see that if you calculate correctly the current as the current life of Parliament, it should be dissolving somewhere around May, May, and then new Parliament should come about somewhere around after September even before uh, the Pacific Games. So uh, the argument that they say that there has to be a government in during the, the, the Games has no, has no grounds. When you look at the actual timing, yes, there, there, there would be a new government before the, the, the event happened. So, so what's the reason for extending parliament? What do you think is going on? I have had connections in the in the police, they heard from the politicians that the reason was China was quite uh, uh, was quite afraid. Otherwise, if the elections happened before uh, before the uh, the games, the new government might uh, make make a make a decision to oust them. It might mean because of what is happening outside of government. There are people who are complaining a lot public in terms in the local uh, social media uh, about China and the new, and I mean China and the government. So it is likely that there might be a new government that might not be friendly to China. Are you concerned that they might be extended even further? Of course, I am really concerned. The fact that the government can amend the constitution for a for a sporting event, uh, what is stopping them from doing for another reason? They now have uh, 39 members. That's two thirds. The requirement under the constitution to is for an amendment of that provision to extend the life of parliament is two thirds. They have the numbers. 
They have done it already. There's every chance that they can do it for another reason. Uh, if the government, current government, has a, has a reason enough to say that they might lost uh, in the coming election, they might find other reasons to prolong, uh, prolong parliament until they feel confident that they can, can win the election back again. And my understanding is that there's some evidence that the CCP has kind of provided funding to these third, 39 out of 50 members. Yes, uh, there were well-published lists of members of parliament that are supporting the amendment, though most of them from the government side, that have given money from, from the Chinese slash uh, fund. It's in the, in the tune of 200,000 per member. So that payment uh, was made just the motion, so the amendment was made. So it's like a rewarding, rewarding those who have uh, participated in amending the constitution. Because one of the backbenchers of the government who refuses to support the amendment was not, has not received anything. He was on the original list for the payment, but when the payment was done, he was not because he didn't support the amendment. So, so you're clear. saying, wait, you're saying that only the people who supported this amendment got such money? That's right. And anyone who didn't support it didn't get it? You can't get anything. Has not, getting, has not gotten anything. When you decided to come work for Daniel Suidani, what was the effect on your, I guess, professional life, your personal life? Because he was already, uh, you know, not so popular among some of the powers that be. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I think when when the things started to happen, and I felt that uh, it's time to stand out and and be real about what you believe in. That yeah, government is a government elected, but I think the object of a government is to save the people, uh, not to save themselves and make decisions that they feel is popular within the within the government, but not within the country. So I felt it's time to save the country, especially the province that we come from. And because as indigenous people, that's our place, uh, that's our land, that's our ancestral place. So if we make bad decisions, uh, like what we've seen in Honiara, that, that the land used to be uh, a customary land belongs to people, but with bad decisions, most of the land in Honiara are now being bought off by, by Chinese people because they were the ones who have money, uh, especially in the primes, uh, prime sites. So what you are saying in terms of Malete is there should be a good scheme of arrangement where you, you, when you bought land, you bought it correctly and done it pro properly. If you were speaking to the Americans or the Canadians uh, you know, watching this show, um, what would you say, number one, is the sort of importance of the story of the Solomons? Uh, although things have looked quite uh, blink in terms of democracy, but we still believe in democracy as a system that allowed even indigenous communities, their values and what they have, still flourish under the system, democratic system. Whereas that would be difficult under a communist system. So that's an opportunity uh, for for Western world, especially America and, and Canada, to work 
continue to work on that, on that opportunity that is still existing. Uh, while China might come with money, I still believe that in as far as the systems are concerned, our people still hope or are looking for system that would adore what they have rather than destroy what they have. We have not seen communism popularized around the world. It's, it's not a system that people, especially indigenous people, would love to have because it will destroy them. The freedom uh, here in America is the founding father of freedom and how people live free. Even if we are a small society, we need the same freedom that the Americans have. So if there is a way possible that uh, Americans see fit to help out in some ways, that would be something great for Solomon Islands as a country. What would be a good way they could help? Uh, I've seen uh, getting the people of Solomon Island engaged and then having them visible on site on the, in the country is something great uh, in terms of economic development and other things that would, you know, remind the people that Americans are still here, uh, even if uh, they have been after the World War II. We, we need to have their, them seeing the Americans, which, you know, developments that attached to life of the people so that they can, you know, uh, have recall America and see America as uh, someone who can help out in these situations. And if you, if there were some Solomon Islanders that watch our interview, um, what is your message to them? My message to our families and brothers from the Solomon Islands is that we, we need to, to have a clear understanding on the issues of the democracy and the issue that uh, with, the, with the CCP, we must not, you know, stay blindly. So uh, I call on the people who understand uh, democracy and the CCP to advocate strongly for what is good for the country. Well, Premier Daniel Suidani, such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. Thank you all for joining Daniel Suidani and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelleck.